All right. Wow, everything worked the first time this morning. Sweet. All right, good morning, everyone. Hope everyone's having a uh, fantastic week or has had a fantastic week. Okay, well, welcome to the channel, guys. Um, I think everyone here knows the deal. This is just kind of, <clears throat> we're just going to have a little chat this morning and, uh, and, uh, Pull some things together. We're supposed to have a, uh, a special guest this morning, but he's not. For some reason, he must be having some difficulties. I'm not really sure what exactly is going on. Uh, it's not a big deal. We can still uh, we still have plenty to chat about. Um, but we are going to kind of, um, how do I want to put it? We are going to kind of just shoot from the hip this morning. Uh, our topic for today is... Uh, it's going to be, we're going to be talking about trusts a little bit and, uh, <clears throat> trusts can be, uh, to the kind of the uninitiated trust can be a little, uh, intimidating. Uh, personally, I feel like, I mean, we use, we use trusts for nearly every deal that we do. Uh, not all, but, but nearly every deal just depends on, uh, depends on what our, our exit is and trusts are just. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you the benefits of using a trust. There's, there's so many, um, so many benefits to using a trust. Uh, first question is revocable, correct? Uh, that is correct. Yeah, especially when we're talking about when we're talking about uh, buying subject to. If we're buying subject to, um, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just get into it. Let's just talk about it because I think it's a. Uh, I think it's something that everybody, uh, everybody who's going to be buying creative. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, anyone that's going to be doing uh, using creative financing to buy a property uh, should probably really familiarize themselves with trusts. And um, right now, there are only six states that uh, that recognize a land trust. Uh, so um, 
And a land trust really doesn't have um, the types, it doesn't offer you the type of protections that a revocable trust can offer you. Uh, before I before I get any further into this, I have to uh, I have to disclose and uh, and disclaim that uh, I am not an attorney. This is not legal advice at all. What I'm going to tell you, what we're going to talk about, is are uh, are things that uh, I have been advised on by my attorneys, and also uh, just experience, just experience doing this. So, all right, so. Uh, the first first question is revocable, correct? So let's talk about what <clears throat> let's talk about what revocable versus what what different, differentiates revocable versus an irrevocable trust. Uh, the the actual uh, the mechanisms that differentiate these two types of trusts are <laughs> exactly they're in the name. One is revocable and one is irrevocable, meaning. Uh, not to get too detailed with it, but with a revocable trust, it can be, or aspects of that tree uh, of that trust can be revoked and or change. You know, um, uh, the terms can be uh, can be altered in a way that, um, and you know, they're very flexible, so that the terms can be altered in in a way that suits uh, the the parties to that trust. Uh, and it's and it's very set in stone. Uh, I'm sorry, it's it's not set in stone. It's an irrevocable trust that is, well, non-irrevocable. It it uh, it does not. It is very very rigid, and the um, and the terms of that irrevocable trust are they they nearly. Hey, good morning, Miguel. They take uh, they take an act of God to change. I mean, you have to go through court to get them changed, and, and uh, it's 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 kind of a headache. I know that's a very, very, uh, those definitions that I'm giving you are very broad and I know that they're not 100%, uh, they don't 100% explain, uh, the difference between the two. And, uh, and it's primarily because I don't use irrevocable trusts at all. Uh, irrevocable trusts are, um, you know, they're used a lot, a ton in, uh, in estate planning and things like that. Not that not that a revocable trust is not; they are uh, they are also used in estate planning. Um, but we're going to focus on the revocable side because I don't deal with irrevocable trusts at all. Uh, so, so let's talk about um, let's talk about the parties to a trust, shall we? Okay. Essentially, we have uh, a couple. We have two. We have. In most revocable trusts, we have two parties. We have a trustee and we have uh, beneficiaries. A trustee is, is, is a party, is an appointee. You, when, the, when, a trust, when a trust is created, the grantor of that trust is going to appoint a trustee. Now, in our case, since we're dealing with real estate, <clears throat> Uh, our revocable trusts are set up almost, they almost mirror what a land trust would look like. So everyone's heard about a land trust and uh, maybe a land contract. Uh, those are, those are, I'm sorry, not a land contract, a land trust. Everyone's heard uh, the term land trust. They, they have similar functions. Uh, so what we do is we set up our revocable trusts and they look oddly, I mean, they look so 
looks so much like a land trust that uh, that you could almost not differentiate between the two. Uh, but a revocable trust, the benefits of a revocable trust in our case is that we have this, we have this, and when you buy a property subject to, and we're going to stick with the subject to theme, when you buy a property subject to, uh, I think everyone has heard of the term due on sale. Everyone knows that there is a due on sale clause. Um, there's a due on sale clause that the lender uh, is going to put in that deed of trust or that mortgage, right? So they, that gives them the option to call the note due uh, based upon a myriad of different um, uh, different violations of that policy. Okay, so, so what we have is uh, we have a, a law on the books. It's been on the books since the 80s. Uh, it's the Garn St. Germain Act of 1982. All right, so... Garn St. Germain allows, there are nine exceptions. There are nine, there are nine exclusions to that law that prevent a lender from calling a note due. Uh, one of those, uh, one of those exemptions is a, uh, is when the property is transferred into a trust. And I say for estate planning purposes, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't really, it, Garden St. Germain doesn't say that, but that's that's what they're talking about. Uh, they're talking about if you are planning an estate and you want to transfer property into a trust to avoid probate, uh, that's what they're referring to. Now, uh, the requirement, though, in Garden St. Germain is that that trust has to be an inter vivos trust, meaning inter vivos just means a living trust. It has to be a living trust. Also, one of the requirements of that trust is that um, a lot of people won't tell you this, but a lot of those uh, one of those requirements is that, and uh, in, in, and I'm talking about in the eyes of the of the lender, uh, one of those requirements is that the the borrower needs to be um, they need to be a beneficiary. They don't have to be 100% beneficiary, but they need to be a beneficiary of that trust. All right, so. So that's how we get to um, that's how we get to the revocable trust. Okay, in a nutshell. So going back to the parties of a trust, we have we have the trustee, the grantor of the trust, or and the grantor is is uh, is just another name for the creator of the trust. That's all a grantor is in a, in in this situation. They uh, they are the creator of the trust. What they're going to do upon the creation of this trust is they are going to. Um, they're going to appoint a trustee, all right? They are also going to appoint a beneficiary. 99% of the time, uh, especially in, this, in, the case of, uh, in the case of estate planning, they're going to appoint themselves as beneficiaries. So what does the trustee do in a trust? Really, the, the trustee's only job, um, not the only job, it's their primary role. A trustee's primary role is to take direction from the beneficial owners or the beneficiaries of that trust. They take direction and they um, they execute on the uh, on the direction from the beneficiaries of that trust. Okay, that's their that's a trustee's primary role. They do have other um, they do have other duties. Uh, and that's, it's really all dependent upon what their, what their duties are, are really dependent upon what is written into the trust agreement. 
Okay, guys, if you have any questions about any of this stuff, because uh, I can get I can get super super geeky with this. If you have any questions about what I'm what I'm talking about, please post them in the chat, and I will definitely get to them. I've got the chat. Uh, I've got the chat up here in front of me. So, uh, also, I'm going to go ahead and do the overlay here. All right, there we go. Okay, so the trustee takes direction from the beneficiaries. Okay, their primary role is to—they're actually taking title to the property. So when you transfer, when you deed a property into a trust, it's the trustee that is take, actually taking title. Okay. I'm sorry, I don't know how. To, <clears throat> I don't know how to say your first name. I think it's. Uh, Arellis, uh, I think I'm sorry. I'm really, I really apologize for not knowing how to say your name, but, um, she asked, can a bank be a trustee? Um, okay. This is, this is a, I, I wouldn't, I would probably not use a bank. It really, anybody can be a trustee. You can appoint anyone, a trustee that agrees to be the trustee. There are no, there are no rules that an attorney has to be a trustee. There are no rules that, uh, it can literally be anyone that you that you can rely on to uh, to be there whenever things have to happen with that property. Meaning, uh, you know, if there's um, you know, if the property is going to be sold or something, that person needs to be a reliable uh, kind of maybe not on call, but they need to be a reliable individual that is going to be there to uh, to uh, sign sign paperwork and uh, sign off on things like that. I mean. Um, Honestly, it can be, it can be anybody. It can be anyone. <clears throat> now we have, uh, there's a couple of different, uh, schools of thought on this, but generally what we do is we like to keep things, uh, we keep things local. So with our, with our students, we tell our students, you know, appoint someone who, um, who you trust, who you know, like, and trust and, and have been, uh, you know, have had a relationship relationship with for a while. And, you know, and then ultimately the question comes up, well, what if something happens to that individual? Well, we also ass assign a, or appoint rather a successor trustee. So uh, it's just much easier for us. Um, especially when you're getting started, it's much easier to, uh, to have someone that you can call on if they've got, you know, if there's got to be documents signed. So that way you're not shifting paperwork back and forth across the country because a lot of people will hire, uh, they will hire, um, you know, like corporate trustees, which is, which is okay. You can definitely do that. You just have to make sure that that corporate trustee, if you're going to hire that, uh, that firm to act as a trustee for you, you just have to make sure that they have the systems in place to be able to manage, uh, you know, manage being a trustee and, and take on that responsibility. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. So, can a bank be a trustee? I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, I would probably here. I'll I'll just tell you what we do. So, in a, in uh, in addition to just having someone local to us, maybe a um, maybe a relative, maybe a really really good friend. Um, if we can't find anyone like that, what we do is we talk to our uh, we talk to our title companies, our closing companies. Okay, um, our closing companies. Oftentimes, it's kind of a natural fit, really, if you think about it. But uh, our closing companies—they're all run by attorneys, and 
many times they don't have a problem with, you know, you have to have a relationship with them, but many times they don't have a problem with standing in as a trustee, especially if you're going to go through them to uh, maybe if you're going to sell that property or, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe if you are transferring beneficial ownership or something like that, that makes them fully aware of everything that's going on with that property, or at least they have a record of it. Right. So that's what we do. Uh, our guest that we were um, that we were going to have on this morning, uh, he is actually he actually runs trustee. He's, a, he's a, he runs a trustee service. And um, so I was I was really looking forward to that, but it doesn't look like he's uh, he's going to join us. But regardless, I think um, I think the really the choice is up to you. It's up to you. Uh, it's up to, uh, you know, do you the individual that you appoint as a trustee, are they going to be a reliable trustee for you? Are they going to be there when, uh, when they, when, you know, when you need a signature or when you need uh, something to happen with that property? Okay. So do we all understand the role of the trustee? I hope so. Okay. I'm not getting any responses in the chat. So I'm assuming that we, uh, I'm going to go ahead and assume that we understand that, that role. All right. Okay, so we've talked about the trustee. Let's talk about the the role of the um, beneficiary. There we go. All right, thanks, guys. Oh, this is a good question. Uh, how many different trustees do you have in uh, in your deals? We have one. The problem with having we have one, and then we have a successor trustee. Uh, the problem with having multiple trustees is that, uh, well, number one, it's going to complicate things because you don't have a single point of contact. Um, now, you can you can certainly, if the, if your trust agreement allows it, you can certainly share trustee, um, you know, um, trustee responsibilities. You can definitely do that. So, let's say for an example, if um, let's say we're talking about estate planning, if you have uh, Let's, and let's say that um, it's a family and maybe the parents who are setting up this estate, they want their kids to be joint trustees. You can definitely do that, right? You can have 50-50, um, uh, you know, or you can divide the, the trustee responsibilities in thirds. Um, what that's going to require is that all of their signatures, it's actually, it actually could be a really great tool in, in that situation. So that, you know, there's an, an agreement between all of the, um, they're not just beneficial owners. They're, they're, they actually, you know, they are, if there's a, if there's some kind of conflict or something like that, or there's something that maybe the, maybe the property is going to be sold. Now they all three have to sign up, sign on, um, sign on the dotted line when that property is sold. So Particularly, or, or uh, in particular for us, we only have one, and then we have a successor trustee, just because of the type of business we're in. I mean, we're not we're not looking at um, we're not we're not so much concerned with the estate planning side of that uh, as we are uh, really just the the business and transacting business. So we point we appoint one. We have a successor trustee in case uh, in case that initial trustee becomes incapacitated or or God forbid they pass away. So hope that answers your question. Okay, so the beneficiaries. What is the role of a beneficiary? First of all, <clears throat> when you take when I when I talk about beneficiaries, I'm gonna, you're going to hear me say beneficial ownership uh, because that's what a beneficiary has 
uh, in that in a, in a trust. That is their role. They are beneficial owners. Beneficial ownership is okay. Let's let's walk through a scenario. We buy a property. We put that property. We deed that property into a, a revocable trust. The beneficiaries are they are not owners. Okay. A beneficial ownership is actually considered personal property in a, inside a trust. So what we have are what we have is, is a trustee that actually owns the property. The beneficial owners have all the benefits of the property that's actually held by the trustee. Everybody got that? Want to make sure we're clear. So the beneficial owners. Uh, in the eyes in the in the eyes of the legal system, a beneficial ownership is nothing more than personal property. The beneficial ownership is the personal property in that trust. Okay, hundred percent control versus usage. Definitely, that is a perfect way to put that. Control versus usage. Uh, the the so let's let's dissect those two words a little bit. Who has control in this situation? The beneficiaries. The beneficiaries are going to have the control. Whereas, I'm sorry. Actually, you know what? That that might be a little bit, that terminology might be a little bit confusing because the beneficiaries have, they, they have usage. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing, man? Yeah, Jonathan, it's making you anonymous because there's a there's a special link, and I can't figure out how to do this. Uh, but there's a special link that you have to um, add to your to to the Facebook. Uh, I think it's to your personal profile before, or maybe it's in the group. I, I don't quite remember, so I apologize for that. But um, yeah, good to know you're here though. Uh, so so Jonathan says control versus usage. Actually, those two terms both apply to the. Um, to the beneficiary. So, so they can, they both control, they, they control by kind of by proxy, they, they control the property and they have usage of the property. The trustee is merely holding the property. So I guess ultimately what you could say is that, uh, the trustee has control of the property, but the beneficiaries have control of the trustee. I think that's probably the best way to put that. Okay, so let's get back to the, uh, let's go back to beneficiaries. Beneficiaries, they are, uh, uh, no, the trustee does not have ultimate say. The trustee just simply takes direction. The, the, the trustee takes direction from the beneficiaries. Uh, this might be another, and so this is another good point. I mean, you bring up a, a great point here. Um, beneficiaries, and this is dependent upon how your trust agreement is, uh, is structured. Beneficiaries can, if you have one beneficiary or you have, you know, 15 beneficiaries, it doesn't really matter. Beneficiaries can remove and replace a trustee by vote. Uh, generally speaking, I mean, of course your, your trust agreement is going to need to, uh, explicitly, uh, explicitly say that. Uh, but yeah, the the beneficiaries can actually remove a trustee if if the trustee is not is not acting um, in accordance with or following the uh, following the agreement. Beneficiaries can 
they, they can get together and they can say, you know what, Mr. Trustee, you're out. Um, and we're going to, we're going to appoint a new trustee. So, so really the, yes, exactly. Trustee is an executor of things. They, they don't, they don't, but they don't have a decision-making capability that a beneficiary does about the assets that are, that are, uh, within that trust. They are literally there. And that's why I kind of, in the very beginning, I kind of, um, I kind of, kind of lessen the role to more of just a signer. They're, they just sign things. You know, it's it's more like, you know, they're going to take direction from the beneficiaries. They're he, you know, he or she's going to do or it. Maybe if it's a corporate a corporate uh, trustee, they're going to take direction. That's all. That's all their role really is. Okay, for all intents and purposes here, uh, they don't. They don't really have any. They cannot. Even though they even though they hold title to the property, they cannot guide and steer that property to uh, you know to perform one task over the other or be you know they couldn't for example they couldn't say well we want to uh, sell or finance this property versus rent this property they they can't do any of that that's all beneficiary so I hope that makes sense all right <clears throat> back to the beneficiaries. They're beneficial owners, right? They, they, this is personal property. Uh, now those beneficiaries like the trustee, they can be, they can be anyone or they can be anything. Uh, the beneficiaries can be an individual. They can be a corporation such as an LLC an escort, you know, they can be any type of corporation. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but they can also be a beneficiary can also be another trust. So uh, say, for example, that I'm doing some estate planning and, and uh, instead of appointing me personally as a beneficiary or my company as a beneficiary, I want to appoint, maybe I've got a trust fund for my, uh, for my grandkids or something like that. I can appoint that trust fund as a beneficiary. All right. So, um, so it can, it can literally be anyone. Primarily in our business, what we do, and I've talked about this before, primarily what we do is, um, generally speaking, my LLC is going to be a, the beneficiary of, of my trust just because, uh, I'm, I'm just transacting real estate. And so the benefit to that is that I don't have to have all of these LLCs. And I've told this story before. When I first got started, I started buying up properties uh, sub two. Uh, when I finally got my crap together and uh, was getting my taxes done, uh, I took me, I was a year behind on taxes. So, you know, it happens to the best of us. It's probably, if you're new in this business, it's probably happening to you right now, uh, unless you're just super, super uh, on top of it. But when I finally had my taxes done and completed, um, I had 21 LLCs, 21 and in my, and they were, they were LLCs that were incorporated in my home state of Missouri. And so in Missouri, every single LLC has to file a return with the state, every single one. And so, and each one of those returns, it's, uh, you know, it's pricey. So I spent a ton of money on returns and just trying to manage all of these LLCs and, uh, yearly fees and all of this stuff. <clears throat> so when I finally figured out that, uh, 
that I could, that a beneficiary could be an LLC, I thought, well, that just makes sense because, you know, I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of blurred out back there, but that's my little, uh, little black and white printer. I can print off a trust document be a, uh, and, and, or I can print off a trust agreement rather uh, and name my one single LLC as the beneficiary. That way, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about all of that uh, running around rigmarole with uh, with the LLCs. And uh, by the way, my my LLC now is in Wyoming, and Wyoming does not have neither personal or corporate income tax, and they have a an excellent excellent non disclosure uh, policy. <clears throat> so it's really really tough to find uh, find who owns a Wyoming LLC. So okay. See what I mean? I can get I can get crazy with this stuff. So I can I can uh, I can definitely um, get down a rabbit hole with this. Um, but a beneficiary, they are it's personal property. Uh, the cool thing about beneficiaries is, let's say you have more than one beneficiary, and I just did this twice last year. I did this twice last year. I had uh, I had a partner in these deals. And that was a, I think if I remember right, one of them, one of them was, he was 40% beneficial owner. Maybe it was in both of them. I'm just going to stick with that. I think it was 40% beneficial ownership in each one of these trusts. Well, he decides he wants out of the deal. He wants to be bought out of the deal. And so instead of going through all the rigmarole of creating a, uh, creating a new, uh, operating agreement or amending the operating agreement or what they call restating an operating agreement where we're removing him and, and putting somebody else in. Um, we are able to simply sell beneficial ownership. We're able to sell that portion of beneficial ownership. So he sold off his entire 40%. We brought somebody else in, you know, he made uh, he made his, his money off of that. Um, and then now I've got a new, um, of course, in our agreements, everyone has to agree to this. So, uh, and now I have a new uh, a new partner in those deals. So, excuse me, just one second. So, I hope I'm not. Uh, I hope I'm not getting too far down. Is every is everyone clear? Kind of what we're what we're talking about here. Some of you probably have already, uh, you know, been through a ton of this. <clears throat> but the. Uh, just in my opinion, the flexibility of a trust makes makes understanding this a hundred percent worth it. Like, just a a trust is so flexible, and that's just one one benefit to using trusts in your transactions. Let me give you a scenario here. Some of you on this call are wholesalers, right? So, just imagine this. Imagine that. Imagine that you go get you go contract on a property. You get a property on a contract, and um, and let's say that let's say that it's gonna you're gonna do a you're gonna do a double close. You want to double close it. <clears throat> so the normal route would be you get the property under contract, you find the money to close it, you turn right around the next day and you uh, and then you uh, you sell that property or maybe even you know the next minute or the next hour, you resell that property to somebody else. So now if you're lucky, you only have one set of closing 
closing costs there. Otherwise, there's two transactions there. So you've got the fee for uh, for funding that deal, right? Unless your unless your title company or your state allows what they call uh, dry closings, where your buyer will um, or your buyer's funding will fund the entire deal. Uh, we we do allow that there, but it, uh, again, there's there's an expense to that. There's there's a cost to that. So, but just imagine this. Get the property under contract. You want to do a uh, you want to wholesale that deal. What you what you could do, and I'm not talking about subject to deals here because that's a totally different ball of wax. I'm just talking about your regular run of the mill type of deal. Imagine if you could present this to a buyer. This scenario that I'm going to explain. You pick up that property. You buy it in a trust, whereby you are the 100% beneficiary or your company is the is 100% beneficiary in that trust. Now imagine that, you know, that, uh, that particular transaction, you get a title policy on that. So a title company will write you a policy on a trust on, and that's very, very common. A lot of people don't think that that's possible, but it is, it is a hundred percent. You can definitely do that. Okay. We do it all the time. So, so now you've got this pretty little package. You've got this. Uh, you've got this property that's deeded into this trust. The trust has a title policy. Uh, the property has insurance on it. All all of the aspects of putting that deal together have come together, and they are now it's this nice, pretty package. Now you bring in a buyer. So you've closed on it, right? But now you bring in a buyer, and you and you explain these benefits to your buyer. Hey, the, this this deal already has title insurance. Uh, this deal already has hazard insurance and this deal is closed. All I would like to do is just sell you my beneficial ownership in this deal. And that's it, right? They become 100% beneficiaries in that deal. And guess what? If they don't like who the trustee is that you named, they can change the trustee, right? It's, it's such a clean, clean way of doing things. And, uh, and, and not to mention we're not doubling up on fees, um, expenses. And, uh, also, also there is really at that point, there's no record with, you know, the, the County recorder's office that that exchange ever happened. And so what has that done now that has created this level of anonymity, there's already anonymity built into the initial trust, you know, into the initial creation of the trust and deeding of the property into that trust, that anonymity already exists because in that recording, the only, the only individual that you have to state in, in most cases is, or for the, for recording purposes, uh, please explain. Um, yes, but that does not occur on acquisition, only disposition. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah, Jonathan. Um, yeah. So on the acquisition side, you know, the, the, what gets recorded is going to be the name of the trust and most likely the trustee who is, who is the trustee of that trust. And then there's like, there's usually a, um, a trustee certification or a trustee, a recording of, uh, who that trustee is and how to get in touch with them. Okay. What happens after that is 100% behind the scenes. So if that trustee uh, resigns or if that trustee is replaced, 
that new trustee does not necessarily have to be recorded. And certainly the beneficiaries don't have to be recorded because remember the beneficiaries, a, the, the role of uh, the beneficiary is one that is of personal property, right? A ben beneficial ownership is personal property. And that does not get recorded in a real estate transaction. So Jonathan, I hope that's what you were kind of uh, uh, referring to there. But <clears throat> so um, I want to, uh, so are we clear on the trustee's role and the beneficiary's role or roles? Going back slightly, do you still have the liability protection of an LLC since they are the beneficiary of the trust? Uh, Scott, I'm not 100% sure uh, what you're referring to, um, but what I'm what I'm really trying to explain in that scenario, Scott, what I'm talking about is, you know, um, you buy the property, you close on it, you're the you're the initial beneficiary. Now you go out, you find a buyer, you sell your beneficial ownership to your new buyer. So yes, you there is no liability at that point. You've sold all of your ownership all of your beneficial ownership to a new buyer. Uh, if, if that doesn't answer your question, I, I'm going to need you to, to, to clarify what you're asking, but uh, I think that's what you're talking about. Now, how they buy it is totally, how your buyer buys that beneficial ownership is completely up to them. They can do it in their personal name. They can do it in an LLC, you know, any, in any of those entities, they can, uh, they can buy that, that beneficial ownership. So does that make sense? If it does, give me a give me a thumbs up. You may be uh, you may be typing, clarifying things right now, but <clears throat> I hope that hope that explains it. So I do want to uh, I do want to cover one other role inside a inside a trust, and it's an optional role. It's something that we uh, kind of our our trust template, the one that we had developed. Um, it's not, it's not found in every trust. It's just, it's just something that we had added into ours um, for additional flexibility. And that is the role of a director, right? A director of the trust. So you have, so you have the trustee by default, you have a trustee and you have beneficiaries. That's in every, that's included in every trust. For us, we also include the role of a director. And what a director's job is, or what their role is inside a trust, is the director actually takes some of takes some or all of those decision decision. I can't talk this morning. Decision making capabilities away from the beneficiaries, so that the beneficiaries they will only have usage rights to the the assets that are inside that trust. And so why, why in the world would you do that? Why would you take the decision-making or the, uh, the decision-making capabilities away from the beneficiaries? Well, I'll give you a scenario. Uh, this, uh, this is something we don't do this a ton, um, but it's something that we do, um, on occasion for specific criteria. Okay. I had a, I had a, uh, property. This has been, uh, I think this was last year. <clears throat> I had a property that I purchased. Uh, it needed some work. Um, I purchased it in a trust, but it needed some work. And it was 
a little too far away for me to manage. So what I did uh, with this director role in this trust was I named my company as the director of the trust. Okay, so we named our, we appointed our trustee, we appointed the director as my company. My company was also initially the beneficiary of that trust. So now, since it's a it's a property that needs work, and I don't necessarily want to, um, I don't want to have to manage a property that's that far away. What I did was I went out and I found a uh, a buyer, a rehab buyer, someone who who rehabs properties. What I ended up doing was I ended up selling eighty percent of my beneficial ownership. So I sold eighty percent of that. It means I retained, or my company retained. 20% of that deal. I sold 80% of that beneficial ownership for a crazy low price. I think it was like $3,000. So that would be, in, if we're talking about, um, this would kind of be a wholesale deal, right? Sort of the same thing, except I'm retaining 20% beneficial ownership of the assets in that trust. All right. Now, the requirements of selling that beneficial ownership and in that beneficial, uh, the assignment of beneficial interest in that case was that the buyer of that beneficial interest was responsible for the rehab. So they're responsible for bringing all the cash for the rehab. They're responsible for the payments. They're responsible for hazard insurance. They, it is their deal. They're responsible for, uh, literally everything that, that happens, um, or that has to happen to bring that property that is to happen rather to bring that property to, to the market. So essentially what I've done is I've, I've taken those responsibilities of being an owner and I've pushed it onto my buyer who, uh, who then went through rehab, the property ultimately ended up selling it. And now I have 20% since I still have 20% beneficial ownership, now I get 20% of those net proceeds. All right. So, uh, so the objective here really was to get my rehab buyer into that deal for very little upfront. I wasn't asking for a ton of money upfront because it was, it was kind of a marginal deal as well. It really wasn't, uh, uh, you know, if I had to go through two, two or three closings, it definitely would have sent us over the edge. Like it just wouldn't have been a good deal. Wouldn't, wouldn't have been very attractive for a buyer. So for one of my rehab buyers. So ultimately what I decided to do was say, Hey, you know what? I'll give you, I'll get you into this deal, but I'll do it with very little money up front. And they really, really appreciate that. It saves them a ton of money on obviously the upfront, the assignment, uh, the assignment portion of that was a very, very cheap assignment. Uh, they didn't have to go through another closing. They didn't have to pay closing costs. None of that. All right. So now they are 80% owner, beneficial owner, and now they can get in there and do that rehab. And it worked out. It worked out really, really great. And, uh, there's a, it's kind of a, you know, it kind of stinks just because I have to wait so long to, uh, to be paid on that. Um, but I, I made 20% of the net profits on that deal. So it was definitely worth the wait. All right. So all right. Question is, is there a way to structure a trust for an acquisition or disposition such that you can remove a party instead of foreclosure? 
The answer to that is yes. That is a very deep conversation. Um, in fact, I really, really, particularly for the people that are in Texas, I don't know if we have any, any Texas folks here, uh, one of the cleanest ways to do one of these deals or to, let's say in a, in a seller finance situation, let's say I'm going to buy a property and then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to, I'm going to finance someone. I'm going to uh, finance a, a buyer. One of the cleanest ways to do that is actually using a trust and see, this is what I'm talking about. Flexibility. You don't, you're not going to find this in any other instrument. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of this, Jonathan, so that, uh, so I don't have to get into the weeds on this because there is another whole aspect to what you're talking about. So I'll just give you a scenario. I buy a property. Um, maybe it needs work. I go in and I, and I do the little bit of work that it needs. And now I'm looking for a buyer, a buyer, buyer, you know, someone who's going to a, an owner occupant buyer. They're going to live in this property. What I can do is I can actually sell all or a portion of my beneficial ownership in that trust. Okay. So again, the same benefits apply. They don't have these closing costs. There's insurance, there's hazard insurance in place. There is, um, there's title, there's a title policy in place. All of that stuff is, is it just, it's done for them right up front. They don't have to go through all of this, uh, this normal type of, um, type of stuff that we have to do on your kind of cookie cutter deals. So what I can do is I can sell that beneficial ownership to my buyer or a portion of it. I can still retain a portion of that if I choose. <clears throat> what ends up happening, <clears throat> excuse me, in your assignment of that beneficial ownership, you're going to, uh, the, the terms of that, of owning that portion of beneficial ownership are going to going to be laid out in that assignment agreement. All right. So you go ahead and you sell that, uh, that portion of beneficial ownership to that buyer. And here's where it gets, here's where it gets tricky. Cause you don't, you don't hear this stuff. Uh, you don't hear about this really anywhere. Um, since you're selling beneficial ownership and it is considered personal property, you cannot foreclose on that individual because that's their personal property. The beneficial ownership is personal property. So you cannot foreclose if that, if that individual stops paying, where will the beneficial, it'll live with them. The beneficial ownership will live with your buyer, but if they stop paying, you cannot foreclose on beneficial ownership because it's not real property. It's personal property. So in every single state, there is something called uh, UCC1. It's Uniform Commercial Code 1. Uh, it is a recording that you make with the Secretary of State's office in your, in your state. And it is, it, is re it is a security recording for personal property. It's meant for personal property. All right. I'm not going to get into the detail, details of the UCC one. That's a totally separate. Oh, I get you. Uh, yes. So, so the beneficial ownership will live in the actual assignment of beneficial interest. So you agree to take beneficial ownership um, on these terms. 
So you're going to pay, uh, you know, you're going to pay my company, such and such company, or you're going to pay a note servicing company X amount of dollars per month. You're going to maintain hazard insurance, all of the terms. It, it is structured like a note. And actually we have created a note before uh, for that beneficial ownership, but it, there's really no security other than the UCC one filing that I'm talking about right now. Does that make sense? I know I'm kind of uh, kind of going all over the place here, but um, but the UCC one is a it's a uh, it's a recording. Uh, I I'd love to show it to you, but I don't <laughs> I don't have one up right now. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'd have to I have to go back and dig it out. Um, I haven't done one of those in, in quite a while. I, I've in fact I've only done it in Texas because of Texas uh, the Texas um, regulations on uh, uh, contract for deed and lease options. Of course, I, I don't do lease options, but um, but yeah, the the they make it so hard to do uh, to do installment sales in Texas that really this is this is the the cleanest cleanest way to get it done. Um, so you can either you can do. Either, either or. You can either create a note where the security for that note is beneficial ownership in this in this particular trust, or you can outline it in, it can be a, a part of the terms of the assignment of beneficial interest. So, okay. All right. That's a lot of talking. I hope, uh, I, is everybody picking up on, on what we're, what we're talking about here today? Just want to make sure. I don't want anybody to to, uh, to be lost here. Uh, let's see. I think there's a uh, I think there's a delay here. There we go. All right, Miguel, good to go. Okay, so let's go ahead and recap. Let me just check and make sure my guy is not trying to get in. No. Nah, this was going to be. Uh, I know. I know we had a. a Oh, wait, Scott's got a question here. Clarifying. If real estate is owned by an LLC, you have the legal liability protection. If real estate is owned by a trust with a beneficiary as an LLC and someone gets hurt, sues, do I still have the protection of the LLC? Yes. Yes, you do. So, <clears throat> so with a trust, but you got to understand the, the one of the benefits behind creating a trust and Maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard this, but there are a lot of people that will tell you to go out and create an LLC for every deal that you do. I'm talking about create, I'm talking about like subject to, all right. Uh, if you pick a property up subject to the standard practice is for, for you to go out, create an LLC, try, deed that property into the LLC and do that for, do one LLC for, um, that's hundred percent true. Uh, LLC can be owned by the trust. That's hundred percent true. Um, so what we do is we kind of flip that around and what we do is we create a trust. We create a trust for every property that we do. So now you have this kind of legal, legal protection of the first layer is number one, what are the assets? If the, if the trust is being sued, only the assets inside that trust can be, uh, are, are subject to that suit, right? If there is personal liability, 
Now they may come at, they can, you, you know, that trust can be breached and uh, they can get into the LLC part of that. And so now your LLC, the protection that your, you know, your, your insurance that your LLC carries or, um, you know, your general liability, all of that good stuff. Now that's the second layer of protection because your LLC is the beneficial owner. And that they can only come after, if somebody's going to sue the trust, they can only come after the beneficiaries if there is a, um, if there is a personal, if it's personal in nature, meaning, um, you know, that LLC has, let's say that LLC has, uh, has committed fraud or something of that nature, right? They can come after, uh, they can definitely come after, they can still come after that LLC. Okay. So it doesn't protect you. It protects you in the sense that, you know, there's, there's two layers that there's two layers and hopefully, hopefully number one, you have that trust set up correctly so that it's very difficult to find you find who the beneficial owner is. Number two, hopefully your LLC is, uh, is set up in a, a way or in a state where it's very hard to find you. And that's, those are just kind of legal deterrents. Um, they can definitely be, um, they can definitely be breached, uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, there is an extra layer there. So if real estate, let me read the, reread this and make sure I'm answering the question, right? If real estate is owned by a trust with a beneficiary as an LLC and someone gets hurt, sued, do I still have protection of the LLC? The answer is yes, but you also have the protection of the trust because the, the trust is the only, is the, the only asset in that trust is that particular property. So if, so if somebody got hurt on, um, <clears throat> let's say, let me give you a perfect example here. If somebody got hurt on a totally separate property that was in another trust somewhere else, they cannot, if they got hurt on your property and just because you're a beneficial owner of the property where they got hurt, they cannot go sue your other trust because it's a totally separate entity. It's totally outside. It's just, it's not, um, that's, it's kind of, uh, untouchable. So there is a, there is that aspect of it. <clears throat> now you may be ordered, uh, you may be ordered if there's a, if there's some kind of a, an award in the suit, you may be ordered to, uh, to declare your beneficial ownership in other, <coughs> in other trusts or other assets. Uh, but other than that, no, they can't, uh, they wouldn't be able to to kind of cross the line and, and jump into the into that other trust. They can only sue. Uh, they can they would only be able to have a claim to the assets in that particular trust. Does that make sense? And yes, Jonathan is correct. An LLC can be owned by a trust. Hundred <clears throat> percent. And vice versa, vice versa. So, all right, guys. Okay. Cool, Scott. Good to go. Okay. Um, let's recap real quick. And all we're talking about here are the mem- are the uh, roles inside of a trust. We have the trustee. Trustee can be an individual. It can be corporate owned. Personally, we like individuals because we like to have a single point of contact. Um problem with an individual is that if that individual disappears on you, uh, from through one way or another, um, 
then you're you're left without a trustee. So you always have a successor trustee. You have somebody to back them up. <clears throat> the next role was uh, beneficiaries. With a uh, beneficiary is a is a personal property. It is not. They don't own any assets in the trust. They are just beneficial owners. So they do get the usage. Uh, and they do get the control of the property. And they also control the trustee. They direct the trustee on what to do with the property. The third role was a director. The director is uh, exactly what it sounds like. They direct, the, instead of the beneficiaries directing the trustee, the director directs the trustee. So we remove some of the benefits of beneficial ownership, uh, some of those decision-making uh, capabilities, from the beneficiaries, and we assign that to the director. Um, and I gave you a scenario, kind of how uh, uh, maybe one of the scenarios, anyway, of how um, how that could be applied. And I think that was it. That's it. We've got the trustee, the beneficiary, and the uh, director. Uh, oh, also on the director, it's not something that you're. It's probably not going to be a very commonly used role. In fact, uh, a lot of times in our trust, we just put not applicable or in a. Uh, and we don't assign one. Um, but just know that it's a possibility. It's there. Uh, it, you do have the ability to, uh, to add and, and uh, add another role, such as the director, if you so choose. But the, the cool thing about uh, a trust as well <clears throat> is that it's a private agreement. And so uh, when I talk about flexibility, that's, that is one of the uh, major benefits. It's, it's a private contract between the parties. Okay. It's, so it's not like, um, you know, it's not like an LLC where you're kind of getting in bed with the, with the state. Uh, it's, it's, uh, everything that happens inside a trust is, uh, is, is very, very, um, anonymous. Okay. And that's why, uh, we can, we can talk again. Maybe we'll talk at a later date about some of those, uh, uh some of those different, you know, when somebody says, well, a trust makes you anonymous. What does that actually mean? We'll talk about that again. Uh, I will. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is uh, schedule, reschedule this call uh, with uh, the guy that was supposed to join me today, and uh, and we're going to get deeper into this. And uh, this guy's this guy's been using trust for a long, long time, uh, buying properties, creative for a long, long time, and uh, he's a really good dude. And and uh, we'll get him on here. Uh, maybe even do a special a special live through the week if we can. Uh, if we can fit it in. All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week. Uh, I had fun. You know, I love talking about this stuff. And, you know, if, if uh, by all means, if there's any questions about this, please post them in the, in the chat, post them in the, uh, I think on Facebook, post them in the, in the comment section, be happy to answer them. I know there's a lot going on, but I do believe, I honestly do believe that a, that understanding how, how to use these trusts in your business is, um, I mean, it's going to save you a ton of money. It's going to save you uh, a ton of time. And I just think it's the best. I think it's probably the last tool that we have in this business that doesn't have the government's fingers in it. And, um, I think it's a uh, extremely valuable uh, information to, to understand. So, all right, that's going to do it. Appreciate it guys. Uh, I will catch you next time. All right. Take care.